Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be sealed or seared. Let's begin today in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in the 10th verse, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. Verse 13 told us, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We find here that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and this happened when we were born again. But we have to ask ourselves, what exactly does it mean to be sealed, and what specifically does that entail? In order to understand the process of sealing in the spiritual sense, we first have to look at it in the natural, because as we know, the natural realm is just a dim reflection of the spiritual realm. When something's sealed in the natural, the seal is impressed upon a material that's made soft by warmth in order to leave a copy and imprint of itself on the material. It works the same way in the spiritual. What's the material? The material is your heart, your character, your life. Before we come to Christ, our heart is hard and cold. It's callous to spiritual things. Our mind is hopelessly lost in our carnality, subject to our fallen, sinful human nature. Romans 8 and 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The key phrase there is neither indeed can be. If nothing changes, it can't be subjected to God's law. But something did change when we were born again. He softened us by His warmth. It was the warmth of His love, the warmth of His grace, the warmth of His tender, caring nature towards us. He made us open to receiving His Spirit. Why does that happen, though? The purpose of the warmth is that it makes the material malleable. It makes it so that it can be changed and molded into something new and better. It's the same with God's work in the new birth. He makes our hearts malleable so that He, as the great potter, can mold our spirit into a new and a better spirit, one that's fit for His Holy Spirit to dwell in. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 to 27 tell us, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. If there was no softening by warmth, if the material stayed hard, cold, and rigid, there could be no change. The seal could be applied, but no copy or imprint would be made. It would be rendered ineffective. That's why there must be a softening and warmth. There must be a change, because that's what allows the Lord to transform our nature by the renewing of our minds. And both of those, transforming and renewing, are acts of change, which is what God, as the potter, specializes in. Jeremiah 18 and 4 says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. That's us. We're the vessel. Two verses later, verse 6 tells us, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so were ye in my hand, O house of Israel. 
We were marred for our sin nature, but God remade us when we were born again. He made us an honorable vessel, a vessel fit to be filled with His Holy Spirit. It's our job to allow the Holy Spirit to change us. We have to be adaptable. The first part of that is the desire to change. We should all want to improve and progress and grow in our faith. Although God will only change us for the better, many people refuse to change. They see change as an enemy that they're always fighting against. This happens for different reasons, but the two main ones are comfort and fear. Many people feel comfortable with the way they're living. Things seem to be going well enough, so why rock the boat? Why change anything? If the status quo is comfortable, they won't change because their comfort blinds them to the necessity for change. And as always, it becomes clear that comfort truly is the greatest enemy of progress, which happens to be an especially detrimental truth when dealing with our connection with God or lack thereof. If we're comfortable, we'll never move an inch, which is one of the main reasons why we find so many people come to Christ out of the hardest, most strenuous situations. Sometimes God has to pull the feathers out of the nest. Sometimes they have to get to rock bottom before they'll desire to be brought up higher and start a new life with Christ. There's no shortage of testimonies like that, because that's part of human nature. The devil knows the power of comfort, so he goes out of his way to try to make our sin nature as comfortable as it can possibly be. He gives us all the amenities he can think of, knowing that the more comforts we have in the natural, the more desensitized we'll become to spiritual things. Many think coming to Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell within them will make them lose the comfort they have, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. This is just an example of the spiritual law that we find running all throughout Scripture that states in order to find, we first have to be willing to lose. If you lose your life, you're promised that you'll find it. If you lose your natural comfort and allow Jesus to take control, He gives you the Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter. He takes the lesser to give you the greater, takes the lower to give you the higher, and brings you out of the worst to bring you into the best. But that will never happen without change, which is why we can't allow comfort to work against us. It will even try to do the same after we're saved. As we grow with God, the devil will try to convince us that we're okay where we're at in a relationship with the Lord. He does this to disincentivize us from going deeper. He wants you to be content to the point where you have no desire to go further. But we know that we're always meant to go deeper with God. So we have to always be vigilant to make sure that we're not too comfortable with the depth of our relationship with the Lord. Because there's always more to find in Him. The other obstacle to change is fear. Many will have fear to keep them stagnant in their sin nature. We all have an inherent fear of the unknown. We fear what we don't know or understand. And this fear can especially be intimidating when it relates to coming to Christ, because it calls for a change of our entire nature, the renewing of our minds and our hearts. If people give in to that fear, it can paralyze them into inaction. The devil knows this fear of the human heart, so he tries to capitalize on it, stoking the flames of it, selling his lies and deceptions that try to paint the saved life in the most uncharitable light possible. He wants you to be so confused, so fearful, that you never change at all. Because before you come to Christ, He has you right where He wants you. But after you do, He loses control of you. The purpose of fear is always to keep control. Fear is one of the most potent weapons that the enemy has, which is why he utilizes it so often. If we push past the fear, the Lord will take it away. And in its place, He'll give us the power and the love of the Holy Ghost and a renewed sound mind. There's nothing easy about making ourselves adaptable. Many times change is hard and maybe even painful. But God never brings us into a change that's bad for us. He does all things for our good. 
And when we know that fact, the fear and reluctance that we have concerning change will crumble away, and desire, willingness, and eagerness will take their place. A wise man once said that in life, if you don't bend, you'll break, and there's a lot of truth in that. Adaptability is how we survive and thrive in an ever-changing world, and if adaptability is such a critical component of the natural realm, we know that it's only far more important in the spiritual. It's foolish to resist something that's for our good. It's foolish to resist the inevitable tides of change. We need to take that leap of faith with God as He places His seal upon us. That comes with responsibility. We're responsible for choosing to follow God. That means that we choose to seek after Him in His Word. The Word itself is what brings about the change that prepares us for the seal. The Word changes us. It changes our minds and our hearts. The Lord said in Jeremiah 23 and 29, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? It's the word of the living God that has the power to break through a hardened heart and soften it with the gentleness of God. And it's the word of God that has the power as a fire to warm a man's heart with his love. This gets us ready for the seal. Then when it's applied, it not only impresses us, it also leaves an indelible, unchangeable, and eternal mark. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in the first verse, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit of little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Verse 2 told us, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. At first glance, it may not seem like this has anything to do with the seal that God's placed within us, the seal of His Holy Spirit, but it does. In the Greek it means, to mark by branding. The traditional definition of seared is, burnt on the surface, cauterized, which means burnt with a hot iron, and hardened. This is interesting because of who's speaking and who's being spoken to. The beginning of verse 1 said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. What Spirit? It's referring to the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we're sealed with when we're born again. Who's the Holy Spirit speaking to? He's speaking to believers. Verse 6 said, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Since this is the case, it shows what's really happening here. The conscience is one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It's the mechanism that He's put within us to warn us against doing what's wrong and to affirm us in doing what's right. If that mechanism becomes seared, then we become unable to differentiate between right and wrong and desensitize to hearing His voice. That puts us in a dangerous position. That cuts off one of our lines of communication. And the less communication we have with God, the worse off we'll be. 
since the key to not only having the seal, but also having the spirit move and operate in our lives is our adaptability, our willingness and openness to change as the spirit directs. Allowing our conscience to become hardened stands in direct opposition to that. Many people let their conscience get seared and their heart get hardened. In their hardness, they revert back to their formerly rigid, unchanging state, where they don't heed the spirit or let him move. They attempt to restrict him and limit him. It's needless to say that that's beyond foolish, and it's needless to say that that has real effects, not only on our walk of faith, but in every aspect of our life. The Spirit influences every part of you, spirit, soul, and body. There's not one part of your life that isn't affected by His presence within you. So what do the effects look like of a seared conscience? There's two main ways that this manifests itself. We find the first in verse 1 and the first half of verse 2. This manifestation shows itself in people denying the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. This isn't progression, this is regression. They're moving back to their formerly unchanging state, becoming even further solidified in their carnality. Then the other manifestation is what we find in verse 3, where they were forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. This is what we find with the legalistic Christians. They let the rigidity of the world to come to Christ and then only become rigid again in their faith, which can be equally foolish and dangerous. Carnality and legalism both attempt to restrict the spirit's movements, and they both attempt to maintain control. The real danger of legalism is that it strives to keep the outward appearance of perfection and compliance to God's will, while inwardly the exact opposite is true. Usually legalism is just a manifestation of and an overcompensation for feelings of insecurity and guilt, which directly relates to the conscience. If your conscience is continually making you feel guilt and you don't want that feeling, instead of repenting and freely receiving God's forgiveness, many keep ignoring it and want it to become seared. They want it to be desensitized. They want it to be without the ability to feel the sensation of guilt, which is dangerous for obvious reasons, most notably because it removes the God-given system of checks and balances for our words and actions. Instead of dealing with everything so that all can be made right again, they try to hide and suppress the guilt by putting on the holier-than-thou mask. And like always, that just covers over a problem that's continually lurking and continually getting worse beneath the surface. 2 Timothy 3 and 5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This is what the legalists have. They have the form, but not the substance. They have the outward, but not the inward. And they lack the power and the desire to change. The outward becomes like Jesus said to the Pharisees, white and sepulchres, which may be nice and clean on the outside, but have nothing but death and uncleanness inside. Those who backslid into the old carnal ways, the old ways of the world, they have death and uncleanness on the inside too. So really, they're just on two opposite ends of the same spectrum. The worldly ones may even be the more honorable of the two because at least they're honest about who they really are. The legalists, whether intentionally or unintentionally, only deceive, with the effect being that others are brought with them into their misconceptions and deceptions. Whether they moved in the direction of carnality or legalism, the fact of the matter is that they didn't align themselves with God's will. They didn't align themselves with truth. They aligned themselves with what they wanted to be true. They aligned with their standards for living, their rules, their regulations, their wants, instead of God's. The effect of that is a conscience that's dead, that lacks any level of spiritual sensitivity. If you continually ignore your conscience, you will, over time, become less and less able to discern its operation, and you'll become less and less likely to heed its warnings or affirmations. 
The effect of that is an ever-widening separation between ourselves and God, an ever-increasing difference between our will and His will, and an ever-widening disparity between what our faults and actions are and what His are. So how exactly does this separation happen? What is it specifically that leads a person's conscience to become seared? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in the third verse, it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Verse 5 told us, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. It's clear from this verse that there's a connection between a good conscience and faith, which should come as no surprise. Faith is the foundation of the Christian life and underlies every aspect of it. But we have to ask, what unites faith and conscience? And the answer is that they're both informed by the Word of God. Faith is the inworking of the Lord's divine persuasion, the persuasion of His will. Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That being the case, we know that His Word is His will, so faith must, of necessity, be inextricably linked with the Word. The same goes for the conscience. It's linked because the mechanism of the conscience is there to be the arbiter between right and wrong, truth and lies, and righteousness and unrighteousness. Since God is truth personified and His Word is the verbal and written expression of truth, the conscience must be directly informed by the Word, otherwise it wouldn't be able to properly perform its function. When the conscience is ceasing to perform its stated function, when it's seared, when it's put in a position where it lacks sensitivity or ability to perceive any sensation one way or the other, the problem is clear. The same is true with faith. When our faith is waning, when our carnal mind starts to regain a foothold and usurp control, when we start to be persuaded by our own will instead of God's, then the same problem is in evidence. That problem is a separation from the Word of God. We saw earlier in Jeremiah 23 and 29 that it said, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? If the conscience is hardened, that means that the hammer isn't being applied. And if the heart and our love towards God is starting to wax cold, then the fire of the word isn't softening us and making us malleable to the point where our will and our character can be molded into what the Spirit desires for it to be. The problem is the absence and the purposeful avoidance of study of the Word of God. That will always lead a man to this place, whether that manifests as a return to carnality or a clinging to legalism. They're two sides of the same coin. If our conscience, which is one of the main ways that He speaks to us, is cut off, and then on top of that, we cut ourselves off from the Word for which He also speaks to us, we continually sever ourselves from God, we distance ourselves, we remove ourselves from His presence and from His reach, and in effect, try to claim our independence and pronounce our autonomy, continually placing undue and unbiblical restrictions on the Spirit's movement in our lives, giving Him an ever-lessening domain, 
and the spirit will not reside where he's not wanted and not cherished, and he definitely will not permit himself to be foolishly restricted by man. Instead of accepting the seal that the Lord's trying to place within them, these people attempt to brand themselves. So what do we do? How do we make sure that we guard our minds and hearts from going backwards towards carnality or from sliding into legalism? The key is always studying and staying in the Word of God. It can never be overemphasized how important it is to study and know the Word for ourselves. There's no greater use of time, and there's no more profitable exertion of energy. The Word is our life source. It's our guide, a light to our path, and a lamp to our feet. The Word keeps us going in the way that we should go, and it guards us from veering off of the right path. It's our job to cherish the Word and to cherish the seal of the Holy Spirit that He gave to us, always seeking to know Him more deeply and intimately. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank You that we're sealed with Your Holy Spirit. We thank You that You put Your own Spirit within us to lead and to guide us into all truth. Lord, we thank You for Your direction. We thank You that You gave us a conscience for which You speak to us. And Lord, we ask that You make us sensitive to Your voice and that You give us the strength and the understanding to follow Your commands, to obey them in full. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it's a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Lord, we thank you that you illuminate the way that we should go in this life, that you don't leave us to fend for ourselves, but that you tell us how you would have us to live. Lord, give us an overwhelming desire to stay in your word, to study it, to know it for ourselves, so that we can not only know it, but live it out, to put it into practice in our daily lives. Lord, we thank you for the change that that's going to make, for the change it's going to make not only in our life, but also in the lives of those around us. We thank you that it's going to bring light into our homes, into our jobs, into our schools, everywhere and anywhere that we go. Lord, we thank you for the change that that's going to bring. Lord, as we shine our light, as we show the world that we're sealed with your Holy Spirit, we thank you that darkness will flee and that the enemy will not be able to withstand us. Lord, we know that if we resist him, he will flee. And Lord, we claim that promise today in faith. And Lord, we thank you for all you have done, all you're doing right now, and all the great, incredible, amazing things that you have set apart for your people in the days ahead. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you want even more of the Kingsword, you can go to our YouTube page at Kingsword Ministry, visit our TikTok page at Kingsword Bible, and our Instagram page at Kingsword Bible Study. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the Kingsword together.